0: Take your Bibles again this morning and turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. We're going to continue on in verses 16 and 17 this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your mercy and Your kindness to us. Thank You for this Word that demonstrates to us the undeniable and unstoppable love of God for sinners. We pray, Father, that You would speak to us, that You would point us to Christ in Your Word this morning. We would consider You and Your work in Him and through Him and consider You, Lord Jesus, more deeply than we have in the past. May our hearts be filled with belief and faith. And having been filled with belief and faith, be filled with love, worship, and obedience before You. We pray all of these things in Jesus' precious name and for His sake alone. Amen. Amen. Have you ever received a special gift for which you've had to wait some amount of time for. And it's almost as if the longer you wait for that gift, the more precious it becomes, the more exciting it becomes, the more meaningful it becomes. We we face this every year as parents around the birthdays of our children or at Christmas time when they receive gifts, they just they're brimming with excitement particularly if they suspect that they're going to receive something that they've asked for because they know that's how mom and dad work. They're just filled with all sorts of eager anticipation and the relief and the excitement when they finally receive what has been given to them. As I meditate on John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, I find that that is absolutely the case here. For God so loved the world as where we began last time and we didn't even finish. I know we could move faster, but I, I fear that if we move faster, we'll lose some of the depth and the power of what's being communicated here. And so as we go back to that verse and we consider those opening words of Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 16. We're like those children who've waited for so long to receive something. And finally, receiving it, we begin to understand what it is that we have and how precious it is. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, His only unique Son, That whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. When we were considering the love of God two weeks ago, we began by enumerating some things about the love of God that scripture tells us it's not what we think about the love of God there's far too much of that there's far too much of man's personal interpretation of what the love of God means to them and it's almost always wrong well to me it means this and to me it means that let's go to the scripture what does the scripture say the love of God is that is undeniable it's immutable it's it's faithful it is true we began by saying that the love of God here as Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, it is not responsive love. We said that it is causal love. It is the reason things happen. It is the reason for redemption. It is not a reaction to sinners who happen to believe a story. It is the reason why sinners believe the story, believe the person. We went on to say that the love of God is not an earned love as Nicodemus would have anticipated it to be. It is not something that comes and as Corey read uh, in Galatians, it's not something that's earned by keeping a law. That's not love. That's obligation. If someone works for something, you pay them. Keeping the law would be earning love. Not given love. Not gracious love. We said that it is not disposable love. It is essential love. It is part of who God is. It's essential to God's very being. God is love. I don't want to add one more this morning. As we continue on. The love of God is not spontaneous love. It's not emotional love. It is not the kind of love that we think of when we think of the word pity. It is not love that comes from pity. And before you start to think, well, that that just doesn't sound very... Warm or very affectionate or very kind. Let me explain what scripture teaches us. And why John, or, or John 3.16 is based on love. That is not spontaneous. Rather it is a decreed love. And why that matters here in this context. And why it matters here in this verse. And why I think you'll see why it matters and why having waited so long for its appearance in the life of Jesus in John chapter 3, it is so incredibly special. And so in order to do that, in order to understand that God's love is not some spontaneous action, rather a determined and decreed action from eternity past, working itself out in history until the gift is finally here and received in the person of Jesus Christ. I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 12. So, What in the world does Genesis 12 have to do with John 3? You'll see. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus about a love and in the next word when Jesus begins to shatter Nicodemus' understanding about the scope of Jesus love this verse in Genesis chapter 12 verse 3 plays a pivotal role and it ties into the reality that this is not a spontaneous love Jesus didn't just show up on the world scene one day in order to you know do some really great and nice things and kind things for people No, this is a decreed love that has been planned from eternity past and in Genesis chapter 12, in the first three verses, we find that great promise to Abraham, but it is not to Abraham only. It's to the world. Jesus says, or God says rather to Abraham in 12 verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you. From you, Abraham, all the nations, the families of the earth will be blessed. We read it earlier in Galatians chapter three. The, when we believe we are of Abraham's seed, we are heirs according to the promise, through Abraham. What promise? Genesis 12:3. What's the promise, the great promise that came through Abraham? Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the Christ. And now here he is in John chapter 3, in verse 16, and he's looking at Nicodemus, and he is saying, For God so loved the world, Nicodemus. This is not a responsive love. It is causal love. It is not earned love that the Jews could earn because they had the law. This is given in gracious love. This is not disposable love. It is essential to my character because from me flows the promises. It is not pitiable, responsive love. uh, or, or It is not spontaneous love. It is planned and decreed love because that is what I do. That is why I can say to you, Nicodemus, God loved the world. It's ancient, it is unchanging, it is part of who I am. I decreed to love the world. I determined to love the world. And proof of that is what I said to your forefather, the one whom you so idolize, the one whom you so identify with, Abraham, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Through the Messiah. That is why I can say to you right now, Nicodemus, God loved the world, not the Jews only, but the world. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every person created, I have loved. And aren't we thankful that God's love is that way? Aren't we thankful that John 3.16 is not just, you know, one day God felt really sorry for humanity, so He sent His Son. Or that Jesus came out of, you know, this warm affection that could cool off at some point in His life. Aren't we thankful that God loved the world because that is what He does? That is who He is. He decrees things. If you were to indulge yourself in a study of classic Christian theology and, and the way that, that Christians have understood the love of God and the decrees of God and the person of God, since the early church you would find this, that the decrees of God are not something he does outside of himself, but something he does in himself. He, his decrees are tied to his attributes, in other words. He is not, I think, therefore I am or I do. He does because of who He is. It is part of His being. And so Jesus can say to this Jewish man who is so confused about things right now, Jesus can say, for God so loved the world because that is who I am. And out of that has come this decreed love, this planned love, Nicodemus. Not for you, but for the whole world. God may have started with the Jewish people, Nicodemus, but it went out from, from, from just that confined circle very quickly. Brothers and sisters, when you read the Old Testament, read it this way that it is primarily God's dealing with Israel, but it didn't take long for God to start bringing the nations into the fold of His people. Rahab in Jericho. Ruth from Moab. Very quickly, God began to assimilate not just Jewish people who had Abraham's DNA, but those from the world. It didn't wait until the New Testament to happen. It began all the way back in the Old Testament. Why? Because God has always had a love for the entirety of the world. Go to Genesis 12, 3 and find that to be true. The glory of God demonstrated in the love of God would go to every corner of the world made by God. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, not only is the power of my love inexhaustible, but it is absolutely expansive covering the entirety of what I have created and those on my creation. It encompasses the world. And that love will be demonstrated, Nicodemus, through the sending of my Son. How do we know it's not responsive love? How do we know it's not spontaneous kind of love? Because spontaneous or responsive love doesn't make sacrifices like this. To send His only begotten Son. Jesus is the demonstration of the love of God that is eternal in its scope, immutable in its Uh, position it cannot be changed and it hasn't been changed and again Nicodemus you're the great teacher of Israel you know the Abrahamic covenant you probably recite it at night I'm going to go ask your wife I bet you've said that in your sleep I mean that's the foundation of of the whole Jewish nation I know you know this Nicodemus how could you have missed verse 3 in you all the nations Of the earth will be blessed. So, Nicodemus, why do you marvel when I say to you, God loves the world? That's not old, that's not new news, that's old news. It's part of the very constitution of who your people are. They are a vehicle through which God will demonstrate his love to the whole world. Nicodemus is struggling with these things. Jesus saying to Nicodemus, "Not only does God love the world, and we can certainly take that to mean the people in the world, but we must also understand that when God speaks of loving the world through His Son, we have to understand this: that, that the death and the coming, or the coming and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ affects far more than just people. It changes everything the, 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 what Christ accomplished on the cross to to vanquish sin will someday see the fruit of its final state when when the whole earth is restored to its original state, and all things are made new like they were in Genesis chapter one and two that is accomplished through what Jesus came to do. And so in a, in a broader sense, we can say that God is absolutely spot on here when He says, For God so loved the world, everything about the world and everyone in the world. It's not a spontaneous thing. was a planned thing. I want you to notice something different here. And unless we had time to read all of the Gospel of John and all of the letters of John this morning, we would miss it. So let me point it out to you this morning. John says that, records Jesus' words, For God so loved the world. When John writes and uses the term world, he almost always, almost always, Uses the term world as that place of rebellion against God. In fact, out of 186 times that the word world is used in the New Testament, 186 of those it is used to communicate a sinful place, a rebellious people. It is a sinful world. And that's how John most commonly uses the term world. And yet, what we read here is that John is saying, God so loved a sinful people. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him for John 3:1 See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we would be called children of God and such we are for this reason the world does not know us because it did not know him That goes back to John chapter 1 verses 10 and 11 And so understanding that that is the most common New Testament usage and that is certainly John's usage here It heightens, does it not, the, the love of God? The love of God did not come to a subdued people who loved God, who were even maybe neutral towards God. The love of God was demonstrated to the world, a world hostile to Him. A world that hates Him. A world that rebels against Him at every opportunity and to the greatest extent, possible so powerful is the love of God Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus that he would invade the very heart of rebellion against him in order to crush the sin that caused the rebellion that is how powerful the love of God that Jesus is communicating to Nicodemus is this is not a, a quick little verse to just throw out like a doctor throws pills these days and say, hey, take 10 of these and call me in the morning and just, hey, just memorize this little verse and you'll just understand everything." No, stop and think about it. God loved the world, what world, the world that is in rebellion against him so much so that he did what he sent his only son into a world that hated him, hated his son and would eventually kill his son. That is love and that is not responsive love. That is not spontaneous love. That is not earned love. That is God decreed love that can only come from one like a holy God. No other kind of love would penetrate a world like this. I'm not sending my son into a world like that. You're not sending your children into a world that hates you and you know will hate them like that. But God does. And he's trying to grab Nicodemus' understanding and say, you Jews, you do everything so right on the outside. You, you, you think you're so perfect in your deportment and your keeping of the law. Yeah, somebody might send their son there, but let me tell you, God is sending His Son into the whole world. And you're not as good as you think you are, Nicodemus. It's going to be your people that crucify him. But I'm sending him to the pagans too. Sending him to the cannibals. I'm sending him to the atheists. I'm sending him to the Muslims. I'm sending him to the Buddhists and the Hindus and the Confucianists. I'm sending him to the godless communists. I'm sending him to everyone. I'm sending him to the world. Because that is the extent of my love. Another way that we must look at the world, the world in relation to the love of God is this. Now, we've allowed the comprehension and the understanding of the word love to be hijacked by the emotionalism and the romanticism of Western culture. We need to admit that. It's touchy-feely. It's if you love me, I'll love you. It's my love can change. It's all of these things. That is not the love of God. And we look at John chapter 3 and we look at verse 16. It was how sweet. Look at God loving the world like that. What we really need to look at that, this verse as being is this. It is an unmitigated assault of the character and love of God into and against a world that hates Him. God invaded a world hostile to Him through love in His Son to redeem the world from the sin it loved and to a God it formerly hated. That's the love of God. It is a militant love. It is a conquering love. It is a militaristic love. It is an unmitigated love. It is an assaulting love that wins sinners to Himself through His Son. No other love will do. Why? Because we are dead in trespasses and sin. Hardened against God. Hating God. Not loving God. So God must invade and change the hearts of those whom He will save. And He does that. How strong is this love for the world? We read the New Testament. We read the writings of John. We find that love is most often spoken of as being between the Father and the And the son. And through the son. He made known his love to the world. That's often how we get it. In fact, if I won't take the time, but if you went to John 17 again, we read a little bit last time. But if you went to John 17, you read that beautiful prose and you read the prayer of Jesus to his father and he is saying to his father father i have loved you from eternity past and you have loved me and there's been a beautiful love between us and now the world gets to know the love that you had for me and i have for you through your sending of me to the world that's it i am the buffer i am the agent i am the ambassador of your love that's most often how we understand God's love. It is mitigated. It is administrated by Jesus. So great is the Father's love. Administrated through His Son. But here, however, John does not offer that buffer. There is a straight line from the love of God to the world. It's unfiltered love. It is unambiguous love. And it is not just for the Jews. And it's not just for the religious. And it's not just for those who think they're good. It is for all kinds of people all over this globe. Now, if you're a conscientious Jew, not like Nicodemus, and your world was not already on fire, it's on fire now. And it gets worse for Nicodemus because the very next chapter we have Jesus going to of all things a Samaritan. And Samaritans were worse than the Moabites. And Samaritans were worse than the Canaanites. Samaritans were half-breeds. They were the product of compromise. They were products of Jewish people who had sold out and cross-pollinated, if you will, with these lesser people. It's as if God wants to inspire his word through John in this way. Like, hey, Nicodemus, I told you I love the world. Now I'm going to show you that I love the world by going to the people you hate the most. How strong is it? Well, John and his brother James, you'll remember in the Gospels, are passing through Samaria. And instead of wanting to preach the Gospel to the Samaritans, they wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans. That's what they thought of them. John is preempting that by teaching Nicodemus about the love of God, which Jesus will then go on to demonstrate in the very opposite of what Nicodemus had hoped to see. Love for us, but not for them. Now we need to be careful to observe what is being communicated here. Jesus is not saying that the action, and again, love is an action, is not a feeling. God is invading the world with His love. Jesus is not saying that this action rooted in the love of God, coming forth from the character of God, will save the whole world. He is not saying that. This is not a verse that teaches every last human being on the face of the planet is going to be saved. That is a heresy ancient and current, known as universalism. That is not what Jesus is saying here to Nicodemus. Rather, Jesus is saying that the love of God provided by the agency of the Son is the only course, it is the only recourse by which the world, anyone in the world, can be saved. There is no limitation to whom Jesus will save. Jesus will save anyone. Anyone who believes will be saved. There is no qualification to that. There is no nuance to that. That is unvarnished reality. You believe in the Son of God, the Son of God will save you. It's as simple as that. It is not saying that everyone in the world will somehow end up saved. 1 John 4, 9 By this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we, who's the we? The believers might live through Him. Not the whole world. The whole world tragically sadly, will not live. Only those who live through Him. Only those who have believed in the Son. God loves everything. God loves the world in which everyone exists. He made it as their Creator. We bear His image. You want to talk about the mercies and the love of God? the most heinous human beings who have ever lived. God allows them to continue to bear His image and doesn't just immediately wipe them off the face of the earth. That is long-suffering patience, brothers and sisters. He loves His creation. Even though they are wicked, even though they are in rebellion against Him, He does not instantly eliminate them because they are still made in His image. He is patient with them but god does have a special love for those who are his through his son jesus makes this clear in john 17 god purposed to have a people jesus says i have redeemed i have accomplished my mission i have redeemed all those whom you have given me that is a select group. That is not everyone generally. That is those whom the Father gave the Son, the Son saved them, so that according to verse 16, they would not perish. Who are those people that God possessed? Who are those chosen ones that God had and handed to the Son that the Son would save? How do we know who they are? Because they believe. That's how we know. How do we know who the true people of God are? Because they believe. Not because they're circumcised, Nicodemus. Not because they keep the law. Not because they're religious. Not because they have a family tree. But because they believe. Those who believe are the people of God. Question then is going to be raised, isn't it? But doesn't God love all men equally? Doesn't he love us all the same? Is God wrong to love some differently than he loves others? Ezekiel 18 gives us the answer. God says that he despises the wickedness of men. He hates that. He is angry with them. And they deserve to die. That's good and right. And we don't need to be ashamed to say that, by the way. There are far too many people in Christianity, particularly American Christianity today, who just want to go and say to everyone, God loves you and He's not going to punish your sin. We don't preach on hell anymore. We don't preach on judgment anymore. God's not angry with anyone. He's too beneficent to be angry with anyone. And the reality is we are lying to them. We are breaking God's own law, bearing false witness about God to them by saying, oh, God just loves everyone the same. And we're all happy and we're all no. Ezekiel eighteen four, behold, all souls are mine. Why? I'm creator. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. So we can sing that little song at Christmas, right? We're all God's children. No. Because that verse ends this way. The soul that sins will die. Nicodemus, I'm not saying that though the love of God is for the whole world, It is the only saving love for the whole world, but I'm not telling you that everyone in the world will be a recipient of that love. That saving love, I love them as my creation. I love that my image resides in them, but it is not the saving love that I have for those who are mine. Well, God is awfully cruel, then he's cold, he's exacting and he's without mercy. No. Because whereas Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 18 4, the soul that sins will die, no qualification to that. It must die. He also says 19 verses later, do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord? The rhetorical answer to that is no. I don't have pleasure in the death of anyone. Rather, he says, than that, he should turn from his ways and live. In the context of John 3.16, he should believe. I'm not happy to judge and condemn anyone to eternal hell. That is not why you came, Jesus. Isn't that what verse 17 says? It is. But I will if they do not. That's a struggle for Nicodemus. It may be a struggle for us. But this is a paradigm that that is also revealed in Jeremiah Jeremiah chapter 48 with, with the nation of Of all things Moab, we were talking about in adult Sunday school from Genesis chapter 19 this morning. Moab, a nation created out of sin and incest between Lot and his eldest daughter. If you go to Jeremiah chapter 48, you find that God pronounces on the one hand severe judgment. Upon Moab. Severe judgment. And yet, in the very same breath, he is mourning over the destruction of Moab. Jesus pronounces judgment on all who do not believe. He, he, he says there is, yes, mercy and grace in John three sixteen, but there is also a warning. It is only for those who do not believe, and those who do not believe will not be saved. They will not be the people of God. They are not the people of God whom the Father handed to the Son, that the Son would come into this world, invade a world hostile to Him in order to save. And yet Jesus stands upon a hill, doesn't He? And He looks before He enters the city of Jerusalem in order to die for Jerusalem, to die for Samaria, to die for the uttermost parts of the world. Jesus stands upon that hill and He looks down over the city of Jerusalem and He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Nicodemus's people. The Jewish people. How I would have gathered you under my wings. How, how I would have had you up under my wings like a mother hen does to her. Check. How I would have done that. And yet, you won't be because you've rejected me. And Scripture records the shortest verse in all of Scripture. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Why? Their unbelief. Their unbelief. We learned last week in reading from Deuteronomy chapter 7. This should not have been. Because he says to the nation of Israel. in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 7 and 8. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you. Because you were more than any of the peoples of the earth. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. But because the Lord loved you. Causal love. I made you. I not only created you physically, I created you as a nation. I called you out of Egypt. I, I sent a deliverer to you. I heard your cries for 430 years in bondage. I listened to you. Read the book of Genesis. How many times did I do something miraculous and marvelous for your salvation, for your redemption? Only for you to rebel against me and lie and rebel and leave me. Only for me to redeem you and bring you back. How many times did I do this for you? I did it all because I loved you. So does that mean He didn't love the Moabites? No. Does it mean He did not also love the Americans? No. Jesus had a special love for a special group of people. So here... He loves the world in a general sense, but He loves those who are His in a specific sense, and they alone will be saved, not the whole world. We know this much of God. We know this much of the love of God. As Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17 demonstrates... For those whom He has set His love upon, those whom He has graciously determined to be His in eternity past, those to whom the Father has given the Son, to them He acts in a special way. To them who will believe, those who would believe, God sent His own Son into the world. Were they good people when He sent His Son into the world? Not on your life. Were they the kind of people we would look at and say, no, those are savable people. Not on your life. We, meaning me, meaning you, are the worst of the worst. I don't know about that. I don't really feel that way. Does your righteousness outdo that of the Pharisees? Are standing out do that of the Apostle Paul who wasn't afraid to say that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. We're the worst of the worst. And yet God acted towards us. He invaded this world with His love. The sending of His Son is the evidence of that so that we... Who believe might be saved. Or let's say it this way. Might be. Communicates potential. Will be. Will be saved. God's love. God's decrees coming from who he is. And here's the beautiful thing about this, brothers and sisters. There, there may be some of you here this morning. And you live with perpetual doubt. About God's love for you. About salvation. That this verse, these realities ought to cause you to jump and leap for joy. Because the love of God for you is not dependent upon how you feel about it. How earnest you were in your belief. How much belief you even had. How much you knew at the point of belief. It doesn't include any of that. God's love for you is based upon the unchanging reality of His own character and the immutable, eternally acceptable work of His Son. That's where your assurance is. Your assurance doesn't come from anything you've done. Your assurance comes from what God is and how God has acted because of who He is. That's our hope. There will be days when we don't feel very saved. There will even be days if you live long enough And your mind begins to fade. That you will not remember you are saved. But it doesn't depend upon you. It depends upon him who saves. Your assurance. Must come. From this love of God. For you. And the action of His Son as a result of that love. If you're here this morning and you have never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is to say you've never said, I believe He is the sinless Son of God. Who came to earth for me. Lived a life without sin because that's the only kind of life I know how to live is one with sin. Jesus then lived without sin for me. Died upon a cross that I should have died upon because of my sin. I confess that I deserve that death. But Jesus took that for me. I believe that. I am assured of that. That's what I believe. Then you can be assured of this. Jesus will save you. Jesus doesn't save you. God the Father does not save you because you go to Mass. Because you pay money to a church. Because you do good works. Because you're a member of a church. God saves because of the work of His Son. Period. End of story. But what a story. Believe that. And you will be saved. You don't need a priest or another man to tell you you're saved. You need the word of God to show you that you're saved. And how do we know that? God loved the world. And sent his only son, his only begotten son. We'll get to this next week. His unique, the, the, the Greek word literally means his one of a kind, unique son. The only one that there is. Into the world. To suffer and to die in your place. That's our assurance. That's our hope. And so brothers and sisters, I know we're moving slow here. But I feel compelled to move slow because we've moved too fast in the past to think about this truth like we should. And as deeply and as meaningfully as we should. What a Savior. What a God. What a redemption for those who believe. Let's pray. Father, words really do elude me to communicate with as great of accuracy or power the truth contained in these verses. And so Holy Spirit, I am once again At a loss. And asking you to do what I cannot do. And that is to convince men. And women and boys and girls. Of the truth in this verse. About the matchless love of God. The sacrifice of His sending of His own Son. The creation of faith within them that they might believe You, Lord. Create faith in those who have none and cause them to believe and to cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe You are the Son of God. I am a sinner and You are the only hope for my salvation. Holy Spirit, do a work in all of us that no man and no sermon can do from a man. Point us to Jesus as Jesus promised you would. Convict us of sin. Show us the Savior. Grant faith to believe. Seal us then in that Savior. And assure our hearts and minds more and more day by day that we belong to the living God because of his Son. And we ask that you would do this so that you, through the Son and to the Father, would produce honor and glory and blessing and praise both now and forever.